to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, Parables and Object Lessons, you'll learn how and why Jesus used the physical world to introduce the spiritual world to his disciples and how the laws of nature relate to the Bible. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now here's Rich and Susan with Solutions for Freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello everyone, my name is Rich Kallenberg. And my name is Susan Kallenberg. And we want to welcome you once again to Freedom to Choose, Parables and Object Lessons, and this is, for your reference, program number 24 of this series parables and object lessons uh you can go to our website www.justasiamministries.com and find many resources there and you will find this program there too parables and object lessons program number 24. uh susan would you open up with a word of prayer please yes our loving father in heaven we are grateful that you use stories to um, show us how you seek after us, to bring us back to restoration, to bring us back to at one moment with you. And um, we're grateful for all that you do. And may this program be a blessing to those listening and that um, uh, that your word um, will continue to ring out about um, your waiting and your knocking at the door of our hearts and you're inviting, want us to invite you in. So we thank you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes I like to break your, your prayers apart. And when you said, you said at one minute. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by at one minute? What is that word, at one minute? Well, I think it's a it's actually a combination of, of things, right? So yeah. a lot of people will say atonement, but at one minute is really coming to be at one with Which is what the word originally meant in the 1500s. Right. It's a made-up word. So if you do something wrong... If I do something, because you're never going to do anything wrong, never. but if I do something right. wrong... Then, and we're, you know, at odds... Then the what goal, is going to bring us at one minute? Is I'm going to need to apologize. Absolutely. Right. And so <laughs> to, to come back together, to restore that relationship, to be at one with each other, to come back and be on that same path that we've traveled on. So Jesus desires nothing more than for us to come back to him and to be um, reconciled to him and to travel down that path that he had desired for us. Originally, Originally. get us back at one, because we're not one with God now. We're we're his enemy. We've become his enemies, but when we get reborn, we become his friends again, and we reunite in at one in at one minute. Right, and you know what's interesting is we're going to go through, um, I'm going to read the beginning of the of the parable of going to the highways and the hedges um, about the um, the master that invites people to the feast. And, you know, when we go to the prison because we um, identify with their condition, the prisoner's condition, we identify what it's like to have gone astray and to be um, not a part of the, ma- not a part of God's plan, but to be estrayed from him, to be unreconciled to him. And um, 
that's the message that we like that we bring in there is that God wants to reconcile with yeah. us. And and it's really easy to see because when one we get locked up or you know we're you know going to court or we're being arrested for the things that are um, against the law, mm-hmm. but I think so many times as we clean up our act and we become Christians, that Eve, so we're not committing those outward acts that people can see or that you can get in trouble with the civil authorities. But there's acts that we commit with inside of our personalities and our minds and our characters may, that that really m- cause us to not be reconciled to God. It may even do more damage. That are because, even right. Because it put us under the illusion that that we have a good relationship with God when we may be doing those things that are damaging that relationship on a daily basis. Right. We may be further away from God than anybody that's locked in prison. You never know. You know, and, and I know we were, we had been talking about our, um, you know, our testimony last week when we had gone to the pr- prison and talking about how um, um, uh, we had been... The thing has left you. Yes, it's left me. But we were we were we were giving our testimony and seeing how we were, um, how we've been reconciled back to God. But that's a daily thing. That's something that you know we all. Um, it's a, it's a we wake up in the morning. Yeah. And who are you going to be reconciled to? Your own mind and your own thoughts. Or are you going to be you know right. seeking after um, a new, God? A new way. Yeah. 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 It's a process. It's a process that we have to follow every day and and. Well, and I think I think that once we've been, you know, once we've turned our lives over to God, that we're in greater danger. Once we have the house, once we have, you know, a car and a little money in the bank account and things are, you know, retirement or whatever, I think we are in more, much more danger. Yeah, you're comfy. All right, I was in much more danger today than I was, you know, when I first gave my heart to the Lord because mm-hmm. I had, you know, I was— You had nothing but yes. Him. Exactly. Yeah, and, and now you was, got everything but him. Right, and it was real. It was tangible. <laughs> yeah. It was he He was walking me through life day, moment by moment. And so I just, you know, so when we go through this, it kind of reminds me of that. So um, we're going through the parable um, in Luke 14, uh, go into the highways and the hedges. And Jesus said there was once a man who was giving a great feast to which he invited many people. When it was time for the feast, he sent his servant to tell his guests, Come, everything is ready. When all began, one after another, to make excuses. The first one told the servant, I have bought a field and I must go look at it. Please accept my apologies. The other one said, I have bought five pairs of oxen and am on my way to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another one said, I have just gotten married and for that reason I cannot come. The servant went back and told all this to his master, and the master was furious, and he said to the servant, Hurry out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring back the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Soon the servant said, Your order has been carried out, sir, but there is room for more. So the master said to the servant, Go out to the country roads and lanes and make people come in so that my house may be full. I tell you all that none of those who were invited will taste my, my dinner." Okay, so there's the metaphor, there's the parable. And and so the question is, uh, I know we looked at it last week, but before we get into uh, it too deep, what did this mean in Jesus' day? In other words, what, what was, what was the, the immediate reference? You know, the religious leaders of that day had been called by God as teachers. They, you know, they had the prophetic scrolls telling them about Jesus' coming. 
They were also given the symbolic service that foreshadowed Jesus. Everything in that service foreshadowed Jesus. It said something about him, but it was all a metaphor. It was all Mm -hmm. a parable. Mm -hmm. And had the priests and the people followed the call, they would have united with with Jesus, you know, John the Baptist and all those messengers in giving the gospel invitation to the world. Right. And when they refused the call, the host of the supper turned from them from those who had shunned his invitation and invited those who were poor and hungry and who would appreciate the offer, the publicans and the heartless, heartless, harlots, Jesus said, go into the kingdom of God before you, Matthew twenty one thirty one. You know, however despicable we've become, we're never too low, we're never too insignificant for God to notice us and for God to love us. Even though people look down at the less fortunate, Jesus he just wants us. He longs to have the careful, careworn, the weary, the oppressed, all of us come to him. Right. That's, that's his business. Right. He, he, Jesus wants so much to give us the light and joy and peace that are found in him, and you can't find that anywhere else. The most sinful people are truly the objects of his deep, earnest pity and love, and he sends his Holy Spirit to plead with all of us with tenderness, seeking to draw us to himself. I, you know, and I think if we understood that, 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 that he understands that we've made mistakes and that he understands. I mean, you think about that woman, I, I, that woman thrown down in adultery and how she is so afraid. And she's laying there, you know, at church naked, waiting for stones to hit her. Mm-hmm. And Jesus somehow runs her accusers away mm-hmm. and not doesn't doesn't pull their covers doesn't doesn't ruin their reputations protects their reputations and protects her reputation and says now where are your accusers well neither do I condemn you so it's interesting so in other words Jesus does no harm, no harm. to the men nor does he do harm to the the woman that that was caught in the sin and thrown down because once again, his whole goal is for that at one minute. At one minute, he you know, and right. I mean, don't you think that wasn't an effort to get the Pharisees to come down at his feet, just like the woman right. was, you know, and say, "Well, my word, I've you know, I mean," and that is what this parable is about: is to be able to say to Jesus, "Yes, you're right," mm-hmm. you know, "Yes, you're right about me. I, I I've got I've got things that need some work," you know. The servant who brought in the poor and the blind reported to the master, it's done as you commanded, and yet there's still room. And the Lord said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my my house be, may be fulled. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what it means to... I to mean, give the good news is compel, to give the, yeah, right, to give I mean, the invitation. Every time the story of the woman thrown down in adultery, I read it or I even talk about it, it compels me right. to head towards Jesus. And it compels us to give that message that yeah. we all, you know, need the that we all have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned and that we all need to be reconciled. And so to a great degree, this is accomplished through our personal labor. This was Christ's methods. His work was largely made up of these personal interviews. He had a high regard for the one-on-one audience. One-on-one, yeah. Right. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. You know, you stop and you think about Nicodemus. Yeah, and, and, you know, and and what was going through Nicodemus' mind, he's thinking, you know, I meet with this guy. They're going to ridicule me, so I know what I'll do. I'll meet with him at night. And Jesus didn't come up to him and say, you know what, I'm I'm too busy. I'm sorry, you meet on my terms. He met 
on Nicodemus's right. terms. God he met Nicodemus where he was at. Yeah, but we know at the end of Jesus's life that Nicodemus was one that was there that was had given all, had was willing to give up all of his possessions yeah. and his reputation and to be there to care for Jesus yeah. after yeah. his death. Yeah. And so by this um uh by the parable it's instructing us to to go to those that are in the byways and the hedges to the poor or to those who have may, maybe feel that um God has forgotten them. You know, there's addicts, alcoholics, and people that are just plain sick, both in body and in soul, and they are seeking to find relief for their troubles. And the devil tempts them to seek relief in in, in temporary ways and in pleasures that w- that will lead to ruin and death. Yeah, there's uh, there's things that work for a while. I mean, alcohol actually worked for me for a while. While it seems to be working, my life is like imperceptibly falling apart. I mean, not even imperceptibly, but you can see it, but you accept it because you you know because the painkiller is actually working for a while. Right, you, know? you, you think it's working, and that's that's how you know for an addict of my type, right? I'll I'll let everything fall out uh, fall apart around me as long as I can be uh, you know, be numb. Be I'll numb. I'll watch it. I'll right. watch it fall apart. Well, I think that in some ways, um, when we're seeking relief, we'll do it at any cost, and we can't see the obvious. So in the addict and the alcoholic and the gambler, and even in wealthy people, if there's wealthy people who can't, they just can't live within their own skin, so they just keep buying stuff because the next thing is going to make right, them happy. Right, the next thing, maybe the next new car, maybe right. the boat, you know, the, uh, maybe that'll bring the family together, you know, a boat or whatever, right. you know, the things we do. Uh, but there comes a time in my life when I no longer can put something or some drug between me and me. Right. Because I'm the problem. When I when I figure that out, uh, I, I, I finally, I have to look at the problem. My problem is not a lack of a new guitar. Mm-hmm. My problem is not the lack of a new car. It's not the lack of a new lawnmower. It's not the lack of a, the newest blender. <laughs> not the lack of a new suit. That's all outside stuff, and my problem is an inside job. I need to thirst for something other than things. Right, for someone, right, other than that, that yeah, those things. Yeah, I need that person that I can look eye to eye with and say, it's okay for you to come inside right. and tell me why I'm driven to do everything but you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, The invitation from Jesus is really simple. It says, to everyone that thirst, come ye to the waters, and he that has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Hearken unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. That's Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. That's nice. Yeah, because you know, it's always been the same message. Uh, but how do we acquire a taste for something new? How do we acquire a taste for something that we're not used to. Well, simple but not easy. Mm. Do what Jesus did. As he went from place to place, what did he do? He comforted the suffering. He healed the sick. Our job? To tell of the love of the great physician who has power to restore. That's that's our job. Right. We need to tell those who have gone astray that they don't need to despair, that Jesus loves to take our apparently hopeless situations through whom Satan has worked and made the, the, them the subjects of his grace. 
tell them that there is healing and cleansing for every soul, that there is a place for them at the Lord's table, that he's waiting to to welcome them, to welcome them home. Yeah. You know, and I want to go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier about the, 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 the command that says compel them to come in, because it, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we should force people to receive the gospel. It actually means the opposite. It's, that's, compelling them to come in is, is more about the urgency of the message of love, really. The gospel never uses force to bring people to Jesus. It's a message that is, well, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, Isaiah 55, 1. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That's Revelation twenty two seventeen. The power of God's love and grace compels us to come, and that's when we look at those stories of how Jesus treated people, right. how he treated mm-hmm. the woman at the well, how he treated the woman that was thrown down in adultery, how he treated Nicodemus, how he treated Paul. Right. You know? Well, and I, so he and, says, this is who I am. This is, this is what I have to offer you. And I want you to come. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's not going to say you have to come. No. He's saying, I'm here for you, and I always will be, Do you? Ch- but you must choose. Yeah, you read those stories, you can tell what he has to offer. Right, absolutely. Do you want it or not? Right. Is and do you want to be it, like that? Right, is that appealing? You yeah. know, is it appealing to be able to, you know, to be somebody who's kind to people? And that's, you know, that's not always easy. Right. So Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. That's Revelation 3.20. The love of Jesus is continually seeking the lost, saying, how can I give you up? That's Hosea 11.8. Although his love is sometimes driven back by a stubborn heart, he will return to plead with us with even more energy, saying, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. You know, I mean, it's pretty clear. He's not pleading with God to let us in. He's pleading us with us to let him in. How did we get things so twisted where we have a picture of an angry God that needs to be bought off somehow? The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. We make the choice. Why is he knocking at the door of our hearts? Because he's on the outside. Well, and I think that's where people kind of get a snag. They think that, you know, um, if you you don't do things God's way, he's going to get you and he's going to penalize you. Where did we get that from? We inherited that right. from Adam. Remember right. in the garden? Right. And God is chasing after him, not to get him in trouble. Right. He's already in right. trouble, God's right? God's trying to get him out of yeah, trouble. Yeah, he, he broke trust with God. Right. God said there's an enemy at the tree. Don't, don't listen to him. Mm-hmm. He's going to tell you lies. It's the knowledge of good and Evil. evil. I don't want you to know evil. I don't want you to know selfishness. Right. If you go over there and you break trust with me, it's going to damage our relationship. It's going to change your brain forever. And you're going to blame your wife and, you're gonna and be, me yeah, forever. What happened? Right. Yeah, he's willing to die for her, and then 10 minutes later, he's narking on her, and he's blaming God. Right. He's trying to protect himself. That's what we inherited from, from Adam, was right. this this run from God, project our hatred for ourselves onto him, and all the while God is going, who told you you were naked? Right, and blame everybody and everything that comes in our right. path instead yeah. of being responsible for our own selves. Right, we've inherited and, that. And admitting where we've become wrong and, and asking for forgiveness and a changed heart. Yeah, and all we see in the Bible over and over again is God trying to get our attention. 
right. and trying to, you know, let me in, let me in, let me in. Please don't run from me. Let me in. And all we see in the Bible is people running from him. I mean, you can imagine that Paul actually thought he was running towards God before his conversion as Saul, mm-hmm. when in actuality he was running away from God, right. the most religious person probably on the, arguably, probably on the planet at the time, right. was Saul of Tarsus. From the outside. From the outside. Right. The most really, but he had the wrong picture of God. It was, I'm going to force you my way, or I'm going to drag you and put you in prison. And then, of course, after his conversion, what was it? Let every man be, be fully, fully persuaded in his own mind. He had changed, and now it's, let the love of Christ compel you to come. Right. I'm not, you know, chains and, 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 and jail cells and the threat of, of, of crucifixion is not my game anymore, right. right? But all the while, he thought he was close to God until his conversion, his true conversion. Mm-hmm. See, we can get so crossed up and be following the wrong picture of God right? and, and just be just like Paul, you know? And, and, and I think that that's truly what stops people that don't know about God from coming to God because they're so afraid of him. Right. You know, they're so afraid because of, of this Helen, picture that's been painted right, of him. Right. That, that he's it, out to get you. He's out he's to that get you. Cosmic cop in in the sky, keeping yeah. a clipboard of all the things you've done wrong. And I think too, it's because we don't recognize it's only because of God that we're living and breathing. Yeah. He's the physician, and if right. he if he's got a clipboard, all it is is a diagnosis, and he's. And he's saying, let me help you with this. And with let me your help disease. With your infection of fear. Right. Let me your... help you with that infection of fear. And then you won't act like this anymore. And then you won't incur guilt and shame. And we can be reconciled And we can be reconciled because you'll be healthy. Right. Yeah. So um, now I wanted to talk about Zacchaeus before we close, because we got to close here real quick. I know. But Zacchaeus, this is the most important part, I think, uh, when when when... Remember the story when Jesus is walking along and Zacchaeus uh, is up in a tree? Right. And then Jesus looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, tonight I'm dying at your place. And you know what? I read that story and it kind of hit me between the eyes of why that was such a big story in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Zacchaeus was a nobody. Right. And the king of the universe noticed him. Right. What happened to you when you were in prison? Did somebody pray for you? And did you all of a sudden realize that the king of the universe noticed you? And it no longer mattered whether somebody else gave you a pat on the bat or or when you walked into the room, somebody didn't say, oh, there's Susan over there. Because now you were noticed. Right. And the the king of the universe is going to dine with you. Right. Everything was flipped around. Everything changed. See, for Zacchaeus, everything changed. He's now going to dine with the king of the universe, who is the bread of life. And that's what it means. It means to realize that God has noticed you. Right. And you're somebody in his eyes. And so, but and he see, picked you out of a crowd. But see, God has always noticed He's always every noticed single every, one of yeah. us. But, but, it's, but, but you come, come to that realization, right. that moment of clarity. Right. And and so for people, you know, to say... The scales come off the eyes. Either, exactly. See, Paul, the same thing. Right. It's the same story right. everywhere. It's that love of God that compels you to come to the feast and say, wow, he's going to dine at my house. In right. other words, he's going between my ears tonight. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he's going to come in and he's going to chase those. Perfect love does what? Cast out all cast fear. Cast out all fear. Right. Doesn't cast out anger. Doesn't cast out jealousy. Doesn't cast out envy. Cast out fear because anger, jealousy, and envy are the symptoms of that disease. Right. 
puffed up pride is a symptom of, of being afraid. Mm -hmm. You see, and so when he can, when we can let, we can we talk to him about our fears, about our anxieties, about those things that deeply trouble us, and just simply, you know, be open with him. Then he, okay, it's like going to the doctor. Yeah, mm -hmm. doc, I got this pain right here. And it, it happens when I do this or, or when I swallow like this or whatever. The doctor said, okay, well, let me look at that. Let me go deep here. And here's the remedy. Yeah, you don't say, no, I don't want you to look at it. Right. Here's a pain here, but I don't want you to look at right. it. Right. You know, no, we got to let the doctor do what he does inside and trust our, him. Inside our hearts. Right. And don't be Adam at the tree and go say, no, you know what? I'm going to go talk to this quack over here at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's right. Right? Yes. Well, you know what, folks? We're going to have to wrap it up here. And we were just getting going. Uh, drop us a line at 916-645-1297. Give us a call. Leave us a message. We can send stuff out for you. Um, and uh, and you can also go to our website. I think it's going to give it to you after the end of the program. Remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, possibly caught up in unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Collenberg, past addicts, are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple? The Way Out of Your Prison, please call 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 